0: Hello and welcome to the Yay Yoga podcast. I'm Renée Liu, you may know me as a yoga teacher, and today I'm the host of this podcast where I talk to the most inspiring teachers from around the world about their yoga journey. Today I'm talking to Gregory Lennon. He's a yoga teacher with a lot of knowledge about yoga philosophy. And I specifically love his Dharma talks at the beginning of class, where he speaks from ancient yogic texts, as well as from his own experiences in daily life. He's a great storyteller, as you will hear in this episode. We talk about religion, yoga philosophy, and inclusivity in the yoga world, as well as many more topics. I will share all the things that we mention, resources, and names in the show notes on yayoga.nl, so make sure you check that out and enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Gregory, on the Yay Yoga podcast. I'm very happy that we can um, talk here. As we are recording this, it's uh, the 2nd of July, and we're both in Amsterdam, where we are both teaching at the same studios, actually, Jagoy and Hot Flow, and they both opened their doors yesterday. Um, have you taught a class already, and how excited are you to go back to teaching... Real time with real people
1: in a room. <laughs> uh, I have. Renee, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, so I have. I actually taught two classes this morning. And um, I we were able to continue our teacher training that I'm leading at UGOI virtually for the months during closure. But we've already had our first uh, full weekend together. And... It it was lovely, it was great being in a room full of people. Uh, I think the yogis are very respectful of holding a safe space for each other and recognize that uh, comfort levels might be different from person to person and that they want to respect those who might be less comfortable. So it's been great, but it was lovely seeing people, um, that people have legs, that it's not just from the waist up on a Zoom screen, right? so yeah it was really nice it's um but I think we've also found that I know virtual it's... classes have a have a have a place
0: yeah right how apart from teaching how did you experience this time
1: um well it was great I actually I had an opportunity to teach quite a bit uh, we were up and running with our streaming classes within days of the shutdown um but it was a it was a really it was a lovely time for introspection and for study and uh, and also to take classes with teachers from all over the world, um, and many who I grew up with in the yoga world in the US and now was able to take their classes virtually. So it was it was really a beautiful time. I know, yes, there were uh, yeah, there were challenges, and I'm not diminishing anyone's. Uh, suffering during the time but um, for me I was able to make the most of it
0: beautiful Uh, let's dive into the interview straight away a question that I ask to all my uh, guests on the show is what is yoga to you
1: yeah um you know yoga is uh, a word that throughout the uh Throughout the history of the word yoga has never had one specific definition. Um, There's a a great book called Selling Yoga. The name of the author is escaping me right now. Uh, But she discusses that yoga has been sort of everything to everyone. Um, My definition of yoga really comes from the Bhagavad Gita and from the Vedas. I see yoga as... uh, an exploration of the connectedness of all things, um, an exploration of the human condition within our individual bodies. And and I love the definition of yoga that Krishna gives in the second chapter, yoga, karmasu, Kaushalam. Yoga is perfection in action. And what makes that act perfect is that we do it with love and joy and without any expectations attached to it. So he was specifically referring to karma yoga um, but I love the uh, the facet of non-attachment in whatever my yoga practice looks like.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Um can you tell us a bit more about yourself and explain how yoga entered your life?
1: Oh my goodness. Um I feel like I took a bit of the back door into yoga. Um When I was really young, I read a book by uh, Somerset Maugham called The Razor's Edge. And it was a a great story about a man who had sort of lost his way and went out in search of himself. And at the end of the book, uh, not to give any spoilers, but the book's over 100 years old, so hopefully people have read it. Um, But at the end of the book... He, uh, he has just returned from living and studying with his guru in India, and he talks about the study of the philosophy of yoga and the principle of acceptance uh, that he found and impermanence, and that really struck me. Um, as a kid, I was always really interested in, my father was a, a minister of a small town church, And I was always really interested in other religions and world philosophies and and mythology. And so the the Hindu mythology always appealed to me. Uh, When I was uh, 13 years old, I had a pet ball python, and I named him Takshaka, which is a a name that's shared between Assyro-Babylonian lore and Indian lore. It was a, a god that would come out at night and eat people who were mean to children. Um, And, uh, but yeah, so I, the philosophy came first for me. And then in the 1990s, uh, late 1990s, I would, I started taking classes. Um, Eventually I found a daily practice, a daily vinyasa practice. I practiced at Jiva Mukti in New York and then found my yoga home in Washington, D.C., a studio called Tranquil Space. And that is where I did my teacher training and then had uh, what I like to say was the best midlife crisis ever and decided to quit my grown-up job, my real career, and, and teach yoga full-time. And I was only going to do it for a year. And then, you know, life happens, and they're new, and I'm still doing it.
0: Wow, beautiful. Um, I think it's very interesting that you entered yoga through more of the philosophy aspects, whereas a lot of people will um, fall for the physical aspects at first. So I'm, I'm very interested in uh, hearing from you what it was in yoga philosophy that spoke to you at that stage?
1: You know, one of the things that spoke to me specifically from the Bhagavad Gita was that uh, it was just so open and roomy. Um, There was, um, you know, with a lot of philosophies, with a lot of religions, it is uh, there is only one path, right? But the Gita lays out all of these different paths to what we might consider enlightenment or, um, uh, or super consciousness. And you know, at one point, Krishna even says, you know, I, there's, one, there's one divine being, there's one infinite. And, uh, and in, in this case, he's saying that he's representative of that. But he says, whatever you call me, you know it doesn't matter if you uh, however you choose to worship me if you worship another god you're actually worshiping me if you are kind to other people uh, you're worshiping me and i loved that idea that it didn't have to look like one's thing um i loved the idea that there was space for uh, what resonates with the individual uh, i was you know, I grew up in a church that you did this or you went to hell, right? And uh, and yeah, just the openness of, of yoga. And I think often we, we lose that because even within yoga, people get really passionate about their particular brand or idea or lineage. And we get overly reverent of one specific thing and think that that's the true yoga. And I would argue that there is No true
0: yoga. You already mentioned that you were raised in a church, that your father was um, involved in a church. I don't know if that's like Christian or um, what kind of religion that was. Um, How was it for your family that you chose um, yoga to follow yoga, the yoga path, to say. Because <laughs> I, I, I know that some people might argue that yoga is a religion as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I can understand that coming from a family that's, like, religious, it can be difficult. Or...
1: The good news is I was old enough that they didn't have any say about it. Um, but... Um, You know, it's, uh, it's funny, my, uh, you know, my father and I never really uh, connected around yoga, but my mother and I absolutely do. Um, You know, she is very devout in her Christian beliefs, but uh, she also is is probably one of the best Christians that I know, uh, meaning that she actually tries to live a life according to uh, the, the values that that uh, that jesus uh displayed and when we talk about spiritual matters or or the way that we sort of walk in the world and hold space for people and practice loving kindness it's the same Uh, there there's no difference in the action so i think that if anything my path in 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 yoga, I also, you know, some of my, my meditation practices are, are, are more Buddhist. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I think that it's opened us up for a deeper spiritual dialogue and that if we just set aside a few words, a few names, then, um, then the, the, the meat of those, the, the real resonance is the same.
0: Totally. Yeah, we're all talking about explaining the same thing, basically. We just give it different names, right? I want to go back to your first teacher training. Was that a vinyasa teacher training?
1: It was. Um, We were really fortunate. One of the reasons that I was so attracted to the teacher training was that the founder of the studio um, studied with the uh, studied. The, the lineage that, uh, that I had grown to really love in New York before moving to DC. And so, um, but she had also supplemented that after going through the Jiva Mukti teacher training. She took an Iyengar, uh, which I thought was an incredible compliment. And then the teachers that led the teacher training were from yet other lineages. Um And uh, forest yoga and uh, anyusara, and then the teachers that would come in to teach master classes were from yet different lineages so while it was a vinyasa teacher training, there were so many voices in the room, and so many really great points of inspiration and uh, And it was again really broad and roomy it wasn't this is the right way this is the only way it was more a space of how can we safely explore what the asana practice looks like
0: that's beautiful yeah that's so important as well i can imagine that that must be very valuable um And after completing your teacher training, did you start teaching straight away or how did you go from there?
1: I I did. I actually took two teacher trainings there. And then um, so after the first, I I was still in my other career, but I started volunteering to teach one class a week on Tuesday evenings at... uh, the Whitman Walker Health Center in Washington, DC. And Whitman Walker is a, uh, it started as an AIDS clinic, uh, with a big donation from Elizabeth Taylor. And, uh, my yoga teacher, uh, Kevin was their head of psychotherapy and he made the introductions. And I started teaching yoga classes to, uh, to people that were patients there. And, uh, that were involved in actually, they were in the intensive outpatient, uh, chemical dependency program. And, uh, the, you know, the classes weren't these strong vinyasa classes. They were really gentle. It was about exploring the body. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was beautiful. What I, what I saw, and I didn't recognize this at first, I didn't recognize this until much later. Um, But what I saw there was that through awareness of the body and through attention to the body, people were uh, finding a way to heal an adversarial relationship with their bodies. And I saw that that was a mirror for my own experience. Um, It was a, it was an incredible group, um, really you know diverse in in gender and gender representation and expression and race, um, virtually you know every sexual orientation, uh, well there were no straight people but um, but yeah it was and, and I saw i was like yeah that's that 's actually what happened to me in in a in a different way, but this drawing awareness to the body, we start to inhabit it or at least I have, more fully and, and really become more aware. And uh, it sounds a little silly, but we, become, we can become friends with our body.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Um, you mentioned that you had um, a different career at that time. Can, can you tell us what you were doing? I, I, I think you were in fashion, am I right?
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I was in management. I was in corporate management for uh, a contemporary and and luxury retail company. And uh, yeah, there was a, there was a moment we were opening a new store in, um, in Miami. It was Art Basel. We were trying to get this store open in time for the big parties and I was unpacking $28,000 alligator skin umbrellas and I'm like this crunchy vegan yogi. And I was just like, this is it. I know I've been doing this for 20 years, but like the, the dissonance, the, uh, the, the fact that the, the, my job and the actions of my job were so in direct conflict and the values of my job were in such direct conflict with everything that I believed, I finally couldn't live with it anymore. Um, so I, yeah, I decided to take a year off and try something else. And here I am.
0: From from Washington to Amsterdam.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a boy involved.
0: Ah, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's, he's not in the picture any longer, but, uh, yeah, that happened. I mean, he's still alive. I didn't kill him, but he's still, (laughs) he's in someone's picture. He's just not in mine.
0: Uh, well, I'm very lucky that you stayed in Amsterdam. Especially if we look
1: at the U S right now.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, um, about, um, incorporating yoga philosophy in your classes, because from my point of view, you have a very, um, how can I best describe it? It's an a way of explaining yoga philosophy that is, um, down to earth is not the right term, but you make it sort of, um, understandable for people that are not um, specifically diving deep into that philosophy themselves and I think that's that's so cool the way you always um, start your classes with just a little story something that may happen in your life and you sort of mix that with philosophy and then that's the way you start a class, and I think that's just a great way of setting a kind of uh, focus for a class as well. And I'm just wondering if, if, when and how did you start incorporating philosophy in your teachings? Because um, I know that a lot of teachers struggle with that.
1: I, I really appreciate your kind words. Um, I, I guess I didn't know there was another way. Um, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of, of centering around a theme and establishing the theme, the, uh, the yoga traditions and schools that I sort of grew up in, in, in my yoga path, that's, you know, that's just what happened. And I found, you know, a lot of teachers would read something before the class or, um, or, or talk about uh, yoga philosophy. Um, but I found the teachers that resonated most with me were the ones that talked about what it looked like in their life. Because while I may not be able to relate to... You know, the uh, to something in from the Yoga Sutras that was written you know, 700 years ago, uh, depending on which historian you ask, or the Vedas, or the Upanishads, or the Bhagavad Gita. I can relate to the way one of my contemporaries, another person relates to it. I can relate to their experience of relating to it, if that makes sense. Um, and I've always been really inspired by. Uh, Sri Swami Satchidananda. Uh, in fact, the first ashram I ever attended or went to was was his in, in Virginia, in Yogaville. Um, and I didn't I, I, I didn't go. I didn't know about it until after he died. He died in 1989. But um, but the way that he told stories uh, just really impressed me. And and we're so fortunate because we live in this wondrous age where all of his talks are now on youtube and you know and we can download the living gita and uh, and glean from his wisdom but I, i love the storytellers and i think part of that is also my you know my father was a minister i grew up in churches with my my father preaching sermons and there was some of that you know some of that there but i think the difference in teaching yoga Mark Whitwell has this quote that I really like. I'm talking about a lot of problematic people, like Sachidananda had his faults. Mark Whitwell, we found, has had his. There's some accusations, but but I think the wisdom there was that uh, he said, a yoga teacher is nothing more and nothing less than a friend. And this isn't about talking down to someone and trying to teach them yoga philosophy it's about saying hey this is this is the way this looks in my life and if you identify wonderful if if you don't that's fine as well you know just come to the breath find what you need today that's i don't know does that answer the question
0: uh yes definitely yeah i think what you're trying to say is that you grew up watching people um talking about kind of heavy topics in a way that still you could relate to um and yeah so you took that into your own way of sharing a message as well <laughs> um and yeah and that kind of explains
1: one thing that I one thing that I do frequently, I'm I'm really fortunate to have a big community of yoga teachers around me that are close friends and that I trust, um, and a couple of them are also psychologists, um, and I have another friend who is a yogi but not a teacher who uh, who works with people who have been through trauma, and I think that it's really important when I present a theme that I that I hold a safe space. So I will frequently, uh, especially if I'm, if I am talking about something that I think could be hard for people, because I mean, the truth is meditation is not right for everyone. There are people that it it it's not, it doesn't feel safe to be quiet and, and go into the breath. Right. And that's fine that you don't have to, that's one of the beautiful things about movement. Like you get to move in the body and you don't have to, um, being your thoughts, but but I'm really careful to make sure that what I'm saying is also psychologically sound and safe for everyone in the room.
0: Hey, little disclaimer here. My connection was very weak at the time of the interview, so I wasn't able to fully hear everything that Gregory said at this point. Hence, I wasn't able to react and go deeper into this topic. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. But that's how things go, right? With everyone working from home and me recording this from home and my neighbors (laughs) and me sharing the internet connection, that can happen sometimes. So we continue our interview. But I just wanted to let you know that, unfortunately, due to the internet connection, I wasn't able to dive deeper into this specific topic. What I also wonder is, because um, right now you are doing a, uh, running a teacher training at Yagoi, is that the first time that you are training other teachers in like a 200-hour training program? Um, if yes, can you share a bit how, how that experience has been so far?
1: It's been brilliant. Uh, Yes, it is. It's the first time. And uh, I've been asked a few times if I would be willing to consider it. And I've always said no. And uh, it just, you know, it's a a lot of work because you're not, uh, in this case, um, and the only way that I would do it, we're not relying on someone else's teacher training guidelines. We created the the entire program, um, in line with the, with the, uh, yoga Alliance. But, uh, but when I was asked and I found out that my teaching partner would be Gretchen Garnett, I said, absolutely, no question, jumped at it. I was thrilled. And we, we partner really beautifully. Uh, we are so aligned and yet completely different, which is the perfect place to come from. Um, and it's been, such a remarkable, uh, experience that the people in the training are so, um, so curious and, uh, and in, engaged. And it's been, it's been a really beautiful experience. And, you know, because of Corona, we, we moved to virtual TT for a while. Um, We're now back together face to face. We're doing a hybrid. I want everyone to feel safe. So for those people who are not comfortable being in a room yet, and I completely understand uh, we're still allowing them the opportunity to take it virtually, but for those who do want to participate in person, we're doing it live and yeah, it's been a really beautiful experience. And also I think now is a really exciting time to lead a teacher training. Um, because I get to elevate those voices of people who know better and where my teacher training was very focused on the asana. And of course we are very focused on asana and anatomy, but we're also deeply focused on inclusivity in uh, community building in uh, removing barriers from the yoga practice in uh, and in, in growing uh, the, the idea of who yoga is for. Um, one of my dear friends in the U.S. is, uh, she comes from an Indian family and she actually did a teacher training, uh, at the same studio that I did. Um, but, uh, she once had, a, a man correct her pronunciation of Namaste and she looked at him and said, you know, I'm Indian, Right. And I think that that's this problem, you know, we have, you know, there, there is a fine line. And I'm really aware of this with, uh, with teaching yoga of, of cultural appropriation and taking ownership of something that, you know, is not mine. Um, and, and I, I, I think as with so many things, the more voices, the more backgrounds, the more life, stories, the more wisdom, um, the more facets of the human experience we can bring to the practice, the better, the richer, the more full.
0: Um, I was speaking to a friend the other day and she was mentioning that that there are no studios in Amsterdam Southeast um, because probably a lot of yoga studio owners see that there is no market In that specific area Um, and probably for the price that they are asking right now there is no market there but I just think that yoga should be available to more people Um, and luckily during the lockdown a lot of people were offering classes online for free Um, I know that you can also argue that that's not a good thing because a lot of people are trying to make money from it and then there's a lot of competition but at least I think it's good if people from all backgrounds and um financial situations can choose to practice um and that it's not this elite thing for only for people that have the financial situation to actually afford it
1: yeah you brought up a couple of interesting points that The first is that, you know, the, the location, the the geographic barriers. um, And that is, that is a huge challenge because, you know, you do have the considerations of, uh, of the rent on a space and you have to pay the bills. And, um, and I do believe, you know, teachers are, we spend, you know, we talk about a 200 hour teacher training, but continuing education and we all spend so much on, on resources and, and, and learning and, um, that, you know, being a teacher, you do need to be compensated. Uh, and I think that that's fair. Um, and, uh, Krishna even addresses this in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, but there is, uh, you know, there were in many of my favorite studios and, and unfortunately, some of the studios where I teach now don't offer this. Um, but I think that it's really important to open up the studio to have community classes. Uh, I know there are studios here in Amsterdam that do that, that one or two classes a week, they offer free of charge or donation based. And then those donations go to uh, an organization uh, that, that they have a partnership with. I think that's important. Um, and you talked a little bit about competition and you know, I I actually have some strong feelings about that because I see a lot of yoga studios and studio owners and yoga teachers. um, And I think it particularly came up during the the quarantine that there was this idea of, you know, we have to compete or the market's too saturated or this person's doing this, so we have to do this. And the truth is, I, I, I feel like if you're offering something of value, if you're offering something that, uh, that touches people, that people benefit from, and you're doing it in an authentic way, that, uh, that your community is going to grow. And there's space. There's space for everyone at the table. And it is when we get into this uh, mindset where we're operating out of fear and lack uh, and thinking that if someone else wins, that we lose that zero sum game. Uh, and clearly, you know, being from the U.S., I see a lot of that. There's, there's a lot of that. But in the yoga community, you know, everyone can win. Uh, if if you're offering something of value, your community is going to grow, even if there's another studio right next door.
0: Yeah. True. Definitely. And, and also like whether you're offering it for free or you 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 um, do a donation based class or a set price in the end the people that want to learn from you they will find you and they will um, they will pay if they want if they can and like I don't think price or money is is the most um, important factor in that it's definitely what you're saying it's about Offering value and and connecting with the people that are um, that want to receive what you have to offer. Um, I want to talk about your self practice. What does it look like? Do you have any rituals? Is it like a fixed practice that you do every day, or does that change?
1: It, you know, it changes. It, it's not super rigid, um, but it's usually uh, it, it's almost always the same thing. So I uh, and I so this is where I am a bad yogi. Um, so I wake up in the morning and the very first thing I do is make coffee like before anything else. I make coffee.
0: How do you make your coffee? In a mocha. Mm, yeah, me too.
1: The boy that's no longer in the picture was Italian, so I got hooked on the mocha. Um, So (laughs) it takes about 10 minutes for the coffee to finish. And while I'm doing that, uh, I sit down with uh, my... uh, They're my morning pages. I took this from the book The Artist's Way, and I did that program several years ago. I've done it a few times. Um,
0: Is that the Julia Cameron book? Exactly. Yeah. I just ordered that one.
1: it's It's brilliant, and it really uh, changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, I don't mm, do the full three cool. pages most mornings anymore, but I will uh, do some writing just to clear it out. I'm never going to look at that again, but I'm just putting things down on paper. Um, some mornings it's some mornings it looks like a gratitude list, some mornings it looks like things that are that are like weighing heavily on my mind that I just need to get out on paper and okay, it exists somewhere. I don't have to think about it right now. Um, and then I have my first half cup of coffee, uh, and I sit for a 30 minute meditation and that I try to be really faithful to. And that is every day. Um, and I know a lot of people use their vinyasa or their yoga practice, their asana practice, uh, to take them into meditation, I find that I prefer to do my meditation first, and then um, more coffee, and uh, and then I move a bit. And sometimes that'll be, you know, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. Sometimes it's more active. Sometimes it's more passive. Um, sometimes it's a, a full hour um but i i just try to to move do some asana play with the body feel what feels good today um you know break up get all the fascia moving um and then at least 3 times a week i try to take another teacher's class um i think it's really important to me if i'm if i'm just teaching my own classes and doing my home practice uh i that gets really uh stale very quickly. And so I'm, I'm taking other, I need to stay a student. The best teachers are always going to be students. And so I, I always try to be learning and, and exploring and I have my favorites. And then I also try to try new teachers. And so, yeah, that's what my practice looks like. And during but Corona, some... I was meditating. Sometimes I was sitting three and four times a day.
0: Uh, yeah i can imagine what are some uh of your favorite teachers that you would follow classes from
1: Ah uh, um here in amsterdam i it's sort of like this uh, gretchen garnett i already mentioned uh big hearts mm-hmm. uh italy padilla i absolutely love her classes um and she's just a a, a beautiful soul um my goodness, I love taking Anne Charlotte's classes. I, I think they're fun. She's the owner of Hot Flow in Jordan. Uh, and I, yeah, I just, I really love the how playful her classes are. Um, some other teachers, uh, Josie Sykes. She's one of my best friends. She used to be at Spaha. She's now in San Francisco, but she is live streaming classes. Uh, And she's actually going to be participating in my teacher training this year. And we were hosting a retreat that unfortunately was canceled, but uh, she's going to be my, I I do a retreat in Italy every year and she's going to be my, my special guest teacher for the next one uh, in 2021.
0: Cool. And you mentioned that you're, um, that you have a strong meditative practice every day. What kind of meditation
1: is that? Um, you know, uh, several. So, I, you know, I've done TM uh, and Insight and Vipassana. Um, my morning meditation tends to be just breath work, just working with a steady, natural breath and returning my awareness to the exhale over and over um, and then, you know, during the inhale, allowing thoughts to come and just observing and just noting them and, and, identifying, oh, there's a thought or sometimes I'll get more specific. Oh, there's, you know, jealousy or worry or whatever, but just sort of naming it and, and letting it pass, not chasing it. Um, I also do guided meditations. Um, and so I am, I really love Tara Brach. Uh, she's based in Washington, D.C., and well, actually Bethesda, but same, same. And her meditations are available at TaraBrock.com or on her podcast. It's uh, through all the big podcast outlets. And she also does her Dharma talks uh, on the podcast and on YouTube. And she's a, a really wonderful resource. And just, she's also a psychologist, and I love the way that she blends the uh, the sacred with what we now understand uh, in the more uh, clinical observations of the mind, because you know, yoga philosophy, yoga is really just observational psychology. That we have thousands of years of people really saying, "Ah, oh, this is how the brain works," and guess what? Now we can confirm it with with uh, with modern diagnostics. This is how the brain works. They were right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, Most of the classes that you teach are quite active. They're all vinyasa practices and um, very physical. When you are teaching a lot um, vinyasa classes, it can be challenging to keep your self-practice going while also taking the time to give the mind and the body some rest. Um, is meditation the way to balance all that for you or how do you take care of yourself
1: you know i i've learned the hard way i've injured myself um in my yoga practice in fact one of the reasons that i wanted to become a teacher was because i had really sort of destroyed my knees um, and had to have knee surgery a couple of years ago um i also uh did a, a, a traditional acupressure and, and massage training in Thailand. And that really has uh, has changed my relationship with my body. Um, but the first thing is I teach really active classes, um, but I don't demo my classes. I think, you know, it's my job to hold a safe space. And if I am going through all of the asana, I'm not able to make sure that, I'm holding a safe space for everyone else. Um, and so I, I, try to demo only when needed. Um, and then, and then, you know, I'll address and observe the rest of the time. Uh, my meditation practice is absolutely, I, I get really tired of my own voice, like talking so much and queuing so much in classes. So I need that quiet time. Um, And, and when you're holding space for other people and it is a group job, like everyone has to hold that space. But when you're the teacher, you, it really does fall on you to hold that space. You need to have that safe space to return to for yourself. And so the meditation does that for me too. Um, But yeah, I try to be really careful with my body. And also as I'm getting older, you know, I'm 48 years old. And so I try to be mindful and not let my ego take over my practice. And not think that it needs to look a certain way, or that I need to achieve something, or uh, or you know, float into handstand with every chaturanga. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. What makes a great teacher?
1: Humility. Um, I think the the three most powerful words. Or at least they're up there in the English language. Or I don't know. Uh, followed by I was wrong. Uh, I think that when we think that we know everything, we're in trouble, and we're probably not holding a safe space. Um, I think that uh, I think that a great teacher teaches for. The people that are in front of them, and not for their own body, uh, and that they create a space where people can explore what's appropriate in their body, and not some specific shape that we're trying to achieve. Um, and I think that it's important that that a teacher be doing their own work, their own. Uh, their own emotional work, their own spiritual work, and their own physical work, their own asana work.
0: Yeah, beautiful. One more question. Which teacher inspires you the most? It can be more than one if you can't choose one.
1: <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's sort of a loaded question. Um, what teacher inspires me the most? So I mentioned Sri Swami Satchidananda. Well, I never studied directly with him, you know, just reading from him and, and watching his talks. And, and of course, Yogananda and, and all of the greats. I'm, I'm really inspired by, uh, by the story of Sri Swami Vivekananda, who really is responsible for bringing the idea of yoga philosophy to the West the 1893 World Columbian Exposition, the World Fair in Chicago, Um, and and the effort he had to make to be able to address the the World Pavilion of Religions there. Um, I am always humbled and grateful for for my teacher, Kevin Waldorf Cruz, who really inspired the way that I teach and um, that uh, encouraged me to take a teacher training and then led the teacher training that I took. Um, you know, and I'm also, I'm inspired by a lot of other voices. I'm inspired by uh, the poet and activist, Audrey Lorde. I'm, ex- I'm inspired by James Baldwin. Um, I'm inspired by Brene Brown. I'm inspired by Tara Brock. I'm inspired... I'm inspired by by people who are uh, using in one degree or another the contemplative traditions to uh, to really change the world one one person at a time.
0: Mm. Beautiful. There was one more thing I wanted to ask going back to yoga philosophy uh, topic, what role does philosophy play in your daily life?
1: Um, Let me just make sure that I understood the question because you were breaking up a little bit. Uh, You asked what role the yoga philosophy plays in my daily life? Correct. Yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. So uh, I once read that... Mahatma Gandhi, from the time he graduated from law school, through the rest of his life, read the last part of the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita every day. And I do that every day. Um, I am always coming back to the practice of non-attachment. Uh, and I think that those verses are a great reminder of that um, and and put it so clearly Every single day I'm picking up the sutras, I'm picking up the Upanishads, I'm picking up the Gita and, and finding a few verses and, and just reading through them because they're, you know, even though I've you know, read them so many times, there there's always some little nugget that jumps out at me that resonates that day in particular. Um, so yeah, there, there's always something that that comes up. And uh, and more than just reading, I try to take the action around it too.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Um, we're almost coming to the end of the interview, and I want to end the interview with some rapid fire questions. So, um, yeah, just some short, short questions, and um, it can be short answers as well. That's up to you. <laughs> So there we go. Are you ready?
1: Yes, ready.
0: (laughs) Okay. What is the best advice someone ever gave to you?
1: Allow people the dignity of their own experience.
0: What advice do you have for all starting yoga teachers that are listening to this podcast?
1: Um do your own work, be authentic and get inspired by those that have been doing it longer.
0: Which book should be on everyone's bookshelf?
1: Um, the complete works of Rilke, my favorite poet.
0: Who or what inspires you the most?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, um, it's the constant reminders to come back to presence and uh, it can be hearing a a child laugh on the street. It can be a particularly beautiful flower as I'm passing. It's, uh, it can be, uh, oh God, these Dutch skies, you know, the skies here are just like unlike any place else and and the clouds rolling in. Um, But it's just the, you know, looking around and really, and really finding that sense of awe and wonder in the everyday and the things that are always around us. Beautiful.
0: What are you most grateful for today?
1: Mm, uh, what am I most grateful for today? I'm really grateful to see people in person that... You know that, and not just their floating head on a Zoom screen.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, last question: Who do you think I should speak to next?
1: Who do I think you should speak to next? Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Um, tag. I'm going to say. Gretchen Garnett.
0: Yay! Yeah. Well, thank you very much for this interview. It's been great talking to you. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing your story and taking the time for this conversation and um hopefully I will soon be on the mats in one of your classes. I'm so looking forward to being there in a real studio again.
1: me too, me too looking forward. Uh, until then, you can always find me streaming uh, through EverSports, and always check my schedule on my website, info or pardon me, GregoryLennonWellness.com.
0: Cool. We'll put all the important information in the show notes on my website as well, so people can find all the details there. Thanks for this conversation.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes at yeyoganl slash podcast. And if you like this show, please show your support by hitting that subscribe button in your podcast app. Give us a high rating and share this episode with someone who might be interested as well. You can also follow me on Instagram at Renee That's R-E-N-E-E-L-E-E-U-W. I'd love to connect with you. Namaste.